You're under arrest. Wait a minute. This is James Stock of the London Financial Times. Well, actually, Captain, I'm of the British Secret Service. The name is Bond. James Bond. Is he? Are you? Yes. And I'm Dick Tracy, and you're still under arrest. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. Kick your ass! And see, since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass too. You know? First, you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie tape yeah, I mean, you know, bullshit ripoff because he's my boy. Yeah. 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 Check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it, they break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years, got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for our benefit. Don't watch it Halloween, let Tom rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? Or Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remakes of movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. I send you to a health farm and get yourself in shape. Instead, you demolish it. A man did try to kill me, sir. No! Caught you seducing his wife! Did he? No, sir. Not at all. But in fact, I lost four pounds and God knows how many free radicals. That is the kind of attitude that tempts me to suspend you, 007! Understand, Mr. Ferguson. I built you a podcast, and this is how you repay me by mocking my greatest achievement. He is James Bond. Oh, and you want to suck? In <laughs> his worst adventure. Da, 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 da. Here he is. He's James Bond. An old shoutback from the very first episode of Guilt Edge Bonds we ever did. How y'all doing? This once again is Derek Ferguson. And this once again is Tom DJ and not a very bad Christopher Walken impersonator. This is episode that Tom and I have been dreading to do. This is the lowest point. I assure you, things get better after this. We've been enjoying our series of James Bond. We should have mentioned this is another installment in Guilt Edge Bonds, where we're reviewing all of the James Bond movies in chronological order. We've got one movie in here that we do like, but we've got another movie in here that doing it is just like pulling off a Mm band-aid. You know how when you have a band-aid, your mother always told you, pull off real quick, and you would try to pull off a little at a time? Doing a review of this James Bond movie is going to be the same way. Let's just do it. So let's just say it's going to be a very short show. Get in, get out, and we never have to Mm -hmm. talk about it or deal with it again. Because as much as you and I both love James Bond, we both Trust me, after you endure this one, we've got... Timothy Dalton, who we both love. Right. Then we got the uh, Pierce Brosnan films. You guys love that. Right. I'm not too thrilled with them, but you guys love it. I love them, too. And then you got Daniel Craig. So, this is as low as you can go. It's all uphill from here. But before we talk about a view to a suck, I mean, a view to a kill, (laughs) we have to discuss the last of the alternate bonds, which appeared in 1983, The Summer of Bond. Which also had Octopussy. Octopussy, yes. Came out that year. Matter of fact, that summer was dubbed The Battle of Mm -hmm. the Bonds. Because we had the return of Sean Connery in the role that made him a worldwide international star. This is the first Bond movie to use a non-Fleming title. Yeah. In fact, it's an insider title because it was based on the quote that Sean Connery gave after the shooting of Diamonds Are Forever where he said, I'm never going to play James Bond again. I'm never going to play James Bond again. Which, unfortunately, though, led to one of the worst, most unmemorable theme songs. And I just have this question. Why is it every time a crappy James Bond ripoff shows up, Herb Alfred has to do the theme song? I don't know. It's in his contract. Herb, we love you, man, but please, get a new contract. And one of the other interesting things about the title, which, of course, is Never Say Never Again, is that if you look at the credits at the end, Mm -hmm. Sean Connery's wife is credited with coming up with the title. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another odd thing about this, 
you can see we're kind of like trying to stall here because this isn't very good either. You don't think it's very good. I think it's a perfectly okay. acceptable James Bond movie, except for the fact that since it was made by Kevin McClory, who has been in the thorn in the side of the broccolis, I have know, the rights to this one book, and I'm going to remake it as many times as, as I many want to. As I want because it's a remake of Thunderball. I know that you don't care for it at all because mm-hmm. you just saw it again recently, and you yeah. said it doesn't hold it up doesn't very hold well up at all. I think that just for the fact that the Beatles never got back together again, mm-hmm. but we did get to see Sean right. Connery as James Bond one more time. Well, the weird thing about this is that unlike with Casino Royale, because of the various mergers that happened during the 90s, mm-hmm. even though this is not an official canon picture, it's owned by the same company. Both Never Say Never Again and all the official Bond films are owned by MGM, UA. And since UA bought Orion in 1997, mm-hmm. what was left of Orion, since Orion had been making films since 1989, it now owns everything by a thing Casino Royale. So now I'm wondering if now they own it, would we might be seeing Spectre showing back up. I think that there's too much bad blood there. The fact that we saw that stupid opening in For Your Eyes Only, which featured a very obvious Blofeld being dumped into a smokestack, was Broccoli's last final fuck you to McClory. I'm never using you. I'm never going to yeah. pay you again for anything. And now that we've got the new organization, Quantum, which Quantum. was introducing Quantum of Boredom. I mean, Quantum so of Solace. Solace. Yes. Yeah, so, so now they don't need Spectre anymore. Did you say how that's become canon now? What? Right. Quantum of Boredom. I'm I mean, Solace. Yes. <laughs> As usual, Derek will be doing the play-by-play, and I'll do the color commentary. I gotta admit, I do like the opening sequence, where it shows James Bond infiltrating right. this abandoned warehouse. Even though we have to listen to the theme song. Yeah, which is truly horrendous. Matter of fact, folks, I'm gonna tell you right off the bat. The music score for this entire movie yeah. is terrible. During the action sequences, especially the one at the castle. It's very kind oh. of bossa nova Yeah. What the hell is that all about? Mm-hmm. But it's one of the worst music scores I've ever heard. It's a warehouse in the middle of the jungle. And we get to see James Bond making his way through mm-hmm. the armed guys that are guarding this location where they have this kidnapped girl. She's like an heiress. James Bond naturally rescues her in fine style. But then it turns out the girl stabs him up under the arm. It would have made a great pre-credit right. sequence if they didn't stop right there. We said, mm-hmm. oh shit, how's he going to get out of that one? And it turns out it's a training exercise. Which the new M played horribly, horribly Edward by Edward oh, Fox. man. Who goes through this movie literally shouting his line mm-hmm. at everybody. He doesn't hold the double O section in as high regards as the previous M. Mm-hmm. who we presume either died or right. retired. He's been putting Bond through a bunch of these scenarios to right. test his fitness. And but we learn also that the double O program has been kind of put on mothball. Because there's that throwaway line where Connery says, all you have us doing now is teaching classes. Yeah, because James Bond has gotten older, and he wants to be back out in the field. But M says, i got to make sure that you're up to it. So he decides to send him to a resort called Shrublands. Must get rid of those free radicals, 007! Watching those scenes with him was like watching a Monty Python parody. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, You could just see John Cleese doing that. Yeah. It's horrible. So Bond goes to this place called Shrublands, which is a health resort mm-hmm. where they give you algae smoothies and they give you yeah. massages and stuff Herbal like that. Colonics. Herbal colonics. Herbal colonics. They make a lot of those things. In order to get him back in shape. Because Bond wants to get back out in the field. And if this is the way to get back out in the field, he's going to do it. In the meantime, we are introduced to an American Air Force pilot named Jack Patachi, who has been hooked on heroin by Fatima Blush, right. played by Barbara Carrera, who, who is, is a Bond girl. Yes. She knows she's in a Bond movie. Yeah. Unlike Edward Fox, I don't know where the hell he thought he was at. Interesting enough, even though Fatima Blush is obviously supposed to be a stand-in for Fiona Volpe mm-hmm. from the original, right? there was a character in early drafts of the book mm-hmm. called Fatima Blush who was supposed to be a double agent. The McClory settlement allowed him to use any elements from the, the previously existing screenplay that he and Fleming collaborated on right. and when it, back when it was going to be a TV series. Right. So he was able to go back and grab this character and... Well, you know, yeah. It, yeah. And she's probably the best thing in the whole film. Next to Sean Connery. She honestly acts like she's in a James Bond movie. Yeah. She's the number two inspector. We're back to old for inspector, which this time, Blofeld is played magnificently for the few seconds we see yes. it by Max von Sydow, mm-hmm. complete with the white cat and everything. If you've seen Thunderball, you know what the deal is. They hijack two nuclear warheads with the help of Jack Patachi, 
who is in shrublands because he's had an operation to put an exact replica of the president's <laughs> cornea. What he's referred to as corneal implant surgery. You know what I wanted to see in this movie? What? How did they get the cornea? The exact replica. Yeah, of the president's eyeball. And the funny thing is, is that what little we see of Jack Patachi, there's no way he could go out in, re in real life with this surgery because it just enlarges the whole pupil of his eye. But he's got a contact lens. Yeah. Remember that he places over it like right. that covers it up. It's a routine mock bombing mission with fake warheads. However, using the corneal implant, he's able to put in a code to switch the fakes with real warheads. Right. Then he crashes the plane in the ocean and that's how Spectre recovers the bombs. The world is thrown into chaos and there's nothing left to do but reactivate the double O's. This means that James Bond comes back into action. And as his good friend Algernon, who gives him his gas, that's a standard cue in this right. movie, he says, Good to see you, Mr. Bond. Things have been awfully dull around here. Bureaucrats running the old place, everything done by the book. Can't make a decision unless the computer gives you the go-ahead. Now you're on this. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too. Incidentally, uh, a little bit of trivia. The, this is the only time in the history of James Bond where Ernst Navarro Bullefeld was not number one inspector. He doesn't have a number. No, he doesn't. Because no, the renamed Maximilian Largo, played by Klaus Maria Brindauer, who we're going to get to, is cited as number one, and Fatima is cited as number two. So Bond, he's assigned to track down these missing weapons. Finding out that Jack Patachi had a sister, Domino, mm -hmm. played by Kim Basinger, he decides to start there, and through her, he meets Largo. Maximilian They originally Largo, wanted yeah. to go with Henrik. Heinrich, right. but then settled on Maximilian Largo, right. who was played by uh, Austrian actor Klaus Maria Brindauer. Largo is a multi-zillionaire. Yeah. He's like a philanthropist. You and I talked about this. He reminds me a lot of what Dominic Green is supposed to be yeah. in Quantum Abort. I'm in Quantum Yes. <laughs> because it seems like when we see him, in fact, when Bond and he have the first confrontation, it's at this big, lavish party he's throwing for charity. Remember when they have that stupid game domination? Right. They have the video game. Oh, God, that thing made my head hurt. But go ahead. Really? You didn't like that one? Because it's like, he kind of sort of explains it, but he doesn't really explain the rules of the game. And the next thing you see is just thousands of little dots going bop, 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 bop. You know what that's substituted for? Usually in a James Bond movie, what do you have? You have Bond play the bad guy at a game of chance. It's usually gambling poker or mm -hmm. roulette, which the bad guy cheats. The and, and Bond beats him at his own game. The reason they turned it into a video game in this film is because Midway, the video game manufacturer, mm -hmm. was one of the product placements. One of the product placements, right, Which is exactly. why we see lots of centipede games. And yeah, Robotron right, games right. Because remember, they the had that scene before yeah. they played the game, and he's got a game room with mm -hmm. all these old standalone mm -hmm. video games. Of course... Why would people, when they go to a party like this, people go to a party like that, they want to booze it up and dance. They don't want to play video games. Bond hooks up with his good buddy, Felix Leiter from right. the CIA. Who in this and I have admit, I like the way they treated Felix Leiter in this film. I did too. A lot more active than he, it, he's he been in any of the official Eon productions to date. And Bernie Casey and Sean Connery have a good rapport in this mm -hmm. one too. You actually buy the fact, like in the other movies, David Henderson was good. And Jack Lord. And it was Sean Connery, in fact, who suggested that Felix Leiter be black in this one. Right. Because he said in interviews, he's supposed to be my best friend and nobody ever remembers him. At least if he's black, that'll make him stand out more. I think that with the exception of David Hedison, this is the best we've seen. Because I really don't care for, in the Daniel Craig movie. Jeffrey he, Wright? Yeah. He's too passive. He's being manipulated by other characters. Well, we'll get to Mr. Wright when we get to Daniel Craig, which is mm. not that far off now. No, it's not. We're going to be there pretty soon. Bond finds out that Largo, he's got the warheads. He's placed one in a location called the Tears of Allah. Right. And the other one, there's a throwaway line that the other one is in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. But it's the one that's in the Tears of Allah, which is like an underground river right. that really concerns them because it's in the Middle East. And if it's detonated in a certain place, it's going to set off the oil fields in right. the Middle East. Which is going to set off an international incident. Right. This which is what Spectre wants, because he sat out explains in that opening scene mm -hmm. that they're in the business of starting wars <laughs> and selling armaments to both sides. Yeah, so they're going to profit either way. They're either going to get, I think they asked for something mm -hmm. like $200 billion a piece, I guess, for each one of the warheads. They're either going to get some money or they're going to profit from selling weapons to either side. Do you want to go into what we don't like about this movie first and then go uh, into what we did like? Well, what I liked about the film is actually a small list. 
Okay. Still a much larger list than the list we're going to have with From a View to a Kill. Okay. Barbara Carrera. Okay. Even though she's stuck in this film, she's probably one of my favorite Bond girls of all time. Yeah. Fatima Blush is an amazing character. She's got the look. And I think it's to her credit that she declined a body double during her love scenes with Sean Connery. Oh, yeah, well. She was like, no, I want to do it myself. Yeah, well, she's still got I it. mean, she has an amazing body. And you know what you like about Fatima Blush is that she takes so much pleasure in her yeah. work. She actually oh, enjoys being that bad. one scene after she's done something truly heinous where she's going back to her hotel room and there's like a Calypso band playing in the lobby and she's doing a little two-step and she's like, I love being evil. She thinks she's blowing up bonds. Yeah. When she abandons him out in the middle of the ocean. Right. With the sharks that have the remote control. Gets back because, of course, me and James Bond, a woman that's out fishing, out there hooks. And she says, damn, she said, Valerie Leon. I caught a man. And then he gets back and then she sees him. And they go back to what she thinks is Bond's hotel room. Mm -hmm. She has explosive and she thinks she's blowing him up. Then we see her and she's doing the dance. (laughs) Throwing her hat and she said, oh, I'm so... There's only one sour note in her performance. And I think you know what's coming up. What's that? The way she goes out. Where she's... Trying to force him to write the confession that she was the best lover he ever had. Right. After we had, it would have been a great motorcycle chase if it wasn't for that lousy ass music that we yeah. have to suffer through. There's a website called Never Say McClory Again. Which if you go there, I don't know if it's still up. Somebody did a fan edit of this film. Where they took out all the stupid disco calypso bossa nova shit. And put in James Barry cues. Oh, okay. And apparently it's 100% improved. Nothing could be worse than what they had. In fact, McClory did approach Barry at one point to score the film, but he declined out of respect for his friendship with Albert Brockle. This is a guy that's consistently giving him work all these years. What he thought that he was going to jump ship for Kevin McClory, who's done Mm -hmm. nothing but been a pain in the ass. Instead of just going back to Brockle and saying, let's let bygones be bygones, Mm -hmm. and let's work together. There's plenty of money to be made on both sides. No, but he let stupid pride get in the way of possibly making a fortune because he just wanted to be proven right. The, the history of Eon Productions' James Bond series is littered with people who missed out on their chance and tried desperately to one-up them. Because we've agreed that we're going to do little episodes about some of the rivals of Bond. Which means we're going to get to the Matt Helm films, mm-hmm. which were produced by Irving Allen, who was Covey Bracoli's original partner yeah. in Eon Productions. Mm-hmm. And we'll be seeing how he handled <laughs> the fact that he... Missed out on a gold mine. And tried to create a gold mine of his own. Yeah. It turned out to be a shit pot. But anyway, <laughs> the only sour note in Barbara Carrera's performance is how she goes out. Because yeah. it is a little bit silly. Yeah. Uh, I although I got to admit, there's that one where Bond has this like gyrojet pen yeah. and shoots her with the pen. That one moment when she looks down at her bleeding wound mm-hmm. and just laughs like a motherfucker. She laughs her ass off. She, she's got a wonderful... A total joy, like, you got me! Yeah, she says, oh, wow. Without malice, without any anger, just, you got me. Brilliant. I love Barbara Carrera in this film. Now, on the opposing appendage, we have Kim Basinger, who is really not good at all and, in this oh, movie. Let's just be fair here. This is, if not her first film, one of her earliest films. She did not come into her own until much later on in her career. She's one of these actors who kind of had to grow into her face. Because she's not all that attractive in this film. No, she's not. And on top of that, they had to make her a dancer. (laughs) Because, as we find out when we watch her in endless scenes of her dancing, she's got five left feet. They have these ridiculous scenes that go on and on where she's dancing for no apparent reason. You watch it, you say, is that all she does with her Mm dates? She she spends it dancing? Never Say Never Again was her fifth movie. Her fifth movie, yeah. yeah. This film is in love with its dances. There are so many of them. You, you almost think you're watching Dancing with the Stars. Because on his, well, it's not really flying a saucer. Super yacht. Yeah. Largo has a sliding panel where he can watch her in her dance mm-hmm. studio. Why he would want to watch her dance. The guy's a masochist if you ask me. But his wall slides back and he can watch her dance. And there's like five minutes of the movie where it's just him watching her dance. And when I'm saying, please, go. And then you cut to a scene of Bond with binoculars watching her dance. She's not good. Let's go on and see something else. <laughs> Why don't you bring back the Rowan Atkinson guy to make funny jokes? He's good. Yes, we should mention that Rowan Atkinson is in this movie as Nigel Small Fawcett, who is Bond's Secret Service liaison down in the Bahamas. He provides a comedy relief, as in the scene where he first meets Bond and... Mr. Bond! I say Mr. Bond! Nigel Small Fawcett, British Embassy Nassau. 
How do you do, Nigel? Sorry, I'm late. But as you're one of these undercover Johnnies, I took a precaution of not being followed. And that's why you shouted my name across the harbour. Oh, God, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. Damn! Damn! Sorry, I'm rather new to all this. We should mention that, or should, well, I'm sure you guys know that he also did the classic Black Adder sequence. Black Adder, yeah, and also later went on to spoof Bond in Johnny English. Also, we should mention that in Black Adder, somebody else that our audience knows quite well, but they might know him here as a dramatic actor, mm-hmm. but we know him as a comedian, you Laurie. Who plays House was also in Black Adam. So we agree, Kim Basinger, she isn't very good. Not very good. We should probably Edward talk Fox bit, isn't good. Not very good. We should talk a bit about Brindauer, because Brindauer is I'm kind of two minds about. On one hand, he is definitely better than Shelley. Yeah, Adolfo Shelley in the original Thunder. But on the other hand, he's very, very fake. To the point where he reminded me a lot of Dominic Green, which is not something you want to be remembering when you're watching my film. Once you brought it up and I started rerunning the various scenes with them, yeah, I see where it's a valid comparison, most definitely. Bernie, I think we both agree that the way they handle Felix Leiter has an equal partner, has a sidekick almost. Mm -hmm. Because the problem with the Eon Productions is that when Leiter shows up, he has the scene at the very beginning and usually a scene at the very end that we don't see him after that. When you do see him, he's coming every once in a while going like, you know, he isn't happy with you, James. You're right, exactly. That's the extent of his contribution. Whereas here, Casey is an active participant. Mm -hmm. He is... In many ways, he's on the adventure with Bond. I love when he shows up after Bond takes out yeah. Fatima Blush. Bond says, well, you were standing there all the time. He said, I wasn't worried, James. You had it. <laughs> yes. I knew you had it. He's looking at pieces of the girl all over the place. <laughs> and, but he's really admiring him. Well, it looks like Dr. Manhattan was here. Look, he's looking at it. He says, wow. Hey, oh, man, that's a, that's a great scene. The action sequences in this movie, even though I do like Never Say Never Again, the action sequences in this movie are really nothing to brag about. They have one fight scene that I guess they tried to recreate the type of fights that Conrad used to have in the... Oh, the scene in Shrublands. Although I do love the end of that fight where he throws the beaker full of fluid in the guy's face. It turns out it's his own urine Mm -hmm. that he had given as a test and stuff. They try to recapture that magic where Bond would have at least one good hand-to-hand combat in there. I don't know. It really doesn't do much for me because this movie has an odd lack of suspense. Okay, Sean Connery just came back. You know he's not going to die. You know nothing major is going to happen to him. So it's an odd lack of suspense that's in the movie. And there are these weird sequences they've added to the film, like, you and I have talked about this, the sequence in the stronghold of the Arabs. Yeah. Where they spend something like four or five minutes with this auction of Domino. You know it's nothing's going to come of it. Where it just, what is the point? And he handcuffs Bond in an attic. <laughs> in attic, filled with vultures. Filled with vultures. Who are not carnivores. They're carrion birds. Yeah, they, they're, they're not going to eat a live they, being. Not, what's the point? They're just going to like walk around with their wings extended like they do in the film. And they have one of the most clunkiest sequences in oh, any James Bond there. Wait a minute. Wait for it. He actually asked Largo, well, since I'm locked up here and I can't do anything, you might as well tell me where the bombs are. And the dumbass tells him. Yes. Don't you realize you're dealing with James Bond? He makes a living out of escaping traps, and then he goes and foils your plan. You didn't expect the brief Well, this, of course, leads you to that totally hideous and bad <laughs> stunt with him and Kim Basinger on the horse where they jump off the top of the parapets, and you see the bad mat work mm-hmm. that leads to the cut of the horse falling into the water. Oh, my God, this thing was... And then they had the thing where he has the laser beam watch yeah. at such an improbable angle mm-hmm. to release the chains. Where was the beam coming from? I have no idea. It wasn't coming from the watch face because it was turned away. Yeah. So you mean he had a laser beam in the strap I of the watch? So. Which admittedly is no more clunky than that stupid dart gun that Roger Moore has in one of the films. Or the buzzsaw watch yeah. that he had. <laughs> but that's the thing about James Bond. If you actually stop to think about half of this shit, you say, wait, wait a minute. That can't work. But we watch James Bond because we know it's stuff that can't work in real life. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I think, tries to have its cake and eat it too. It's just trying to go back to more realistic James Bond movies that Sean Connery did at the beginning of his career, but then they'll throw in something goofy like that, right. like the watch and the bad mm-hmm. acting in order to, I don't know. I enjoy Never Say Never Again. I watch it when it comes on. Mm-hmm. I've got it on DVD somewhere around here. It's not the first James Bond movie that I reach for when I want to watch a James Bond movie, but... I think just on the fact that we got Sean Connery back one more time to play James Bond. And to be fair, it's better than what we're about to talk about. 
Yeah. My shit is better than what we're about to talk about. That's strong. Uh, It's it's deserved. Eon Productions won the Battle of the Bonds. Octopussy grossed a little bit more than Never Seen Every Day, which grossed about $160 million, I think. So much so, though, to my amazement, that McClory was going to do it again three years yeah, later. Yeah, he was going to do it. I remember because I used to read Variety on a weekly basis. He took out big, full-page ads for Warhead 2000, mm-hmm. starring Jason Connery as James Bond. It's insane. That was his plan. He was going to milk it for all it was worth. Because that's all he had. He only had that one story, Thunderball. Octopus, he did very well for Eon. Eon decided to move forward with a view to a kill. At this point now, we're kind of scraping the bottom of the Ian Fleming name barrel. <laughs> it's also interesting to know that this is something very important. We're at a crossroads in the series. Cubby Bercoli was getting more and more progressively sick. He was having a harder and harder time with the day-to-day. Starting with this film, a lot more of the responsibilities were being handed over to two people. His stepson, Michael J. Wilson. Michael Wilson, right. And his daughter, his his eldest daughter, Barbara Piccoli. Even though he's still considered a producer on this and the next two Bond films, it's pretty much these two from here on in. Yeah, from here on in, yeah. The first thing that started buzz with this film was the search for the guy who was going to play the villain. The villain. Because that's the thing everybody wants to know. They want yeah. to know who the Bond girls are going right. to be and who's going to play the villain. Now, granted, they had already signed disco singer Grace Jones to play the main hench person who was going to be called May Day. Which is odd that we're recording this on May the 1st. Synchronicity? Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. The first person they approached was former police lead vocalist Sting, who had... So, uh, quite a few actor credit. Actor yeah, he has some movie roles about his Yeah, yeah. most yeah. famously playing the proto-John Constantine in Brimstone and Treacle. And uh, I think he had done Dune also He did Dune by this time, yeah. He did a number of films. They had approached him, and Mr. Gordon Sumner said no. So, Wilson and Broccoli say, who else can we get? I know. Let's ask David Bowie. I love this story. <laughs> now, keep in mind, I think David Bowie would make a great Bond villain. Because he's got that look. Oh, so do I, yeah. He would be amazing. David Bowie gets the script and then hears, oh yeah, Sting turned it down. And he goes, fuck you, I'm not going to take Sting's cast off. Yeah, oh, oh, you didn't come to me first. Oh, okay. He considered it a great insult that he wasn't asked first. Mm -hmm. Which, considering that he had more acting experience this time. True, because he goes back to the 60s yeah, he was doing the movies 70s, back in yeah. the... Yeah, yeah. Well, he did The Man Who Fell on Earth. At Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, the yeah. Hunger. He had a much larger ovier, but he was second choice. As the film got closer and closer to filming, they desperately went to a third choice. Now, if you can think of the most unlikely person to play a Bond villain, who would you choose? Woody Allen. Yeah, he was. <laughs> After Woody Allen. Uh, Richard Pryor. I'm sure if they had enough time, <laughs> we would have seen Richard Pryor. But they got Christopher Walken, everybody's favorite Greek from Astoria Queen, to play Max, Max Zorin. Who, by the way, they later found out, Zorin sounded a lot like the names of both a legitimate Silicon Valley company. Really? And the name of a European politician, which is why this is the only film in the James Bond series that starts with a disclaimer. There's a disclaimer that says the name Max Zorin is not meant to represent anybody living or dead. They got Max Zorin. Roger Moore decided he was going to come back after doing his usual dithering. I don't know if I should come back. Maybe if he gave me more money. And what did they do? They backed up a truck yep. load of money to his lawn and he says, okay, well I'll come back and do one more. Despite the fact that by this time... Now, folks, me and Tom are just going to blast through this and get this over with and tell you exactly why we hate this movie. First of all, by this time, Roger Moore is obviously too old to play James Bond. Yeah. He's watery-eyed. He's jowly. We can make the argument that he was too old with Octopussy, but they managed to avoid that by casting older people around Right. Him. They evened it out by having a leading lady, first of all, that was close to his own that age. That was close to his own while right. still being dropped at Dropped at right. So it kind of evened it out. But now in this movie, they've got him paired with Tanya Roberts, 
who is young enough to be his granddaughter. Well, we'll get to the reason why Roger Moore ultimately stepped down from the role Mm -hmm. at the end of the discussion. But it does deal specifically with something you just said. Uh, But it looks genuinely creepy with the quote-unquote love scenes between them. Grace Jones is older than Tanya Roberts was at the time, but still, she's about young enough to be his daughter. And it's a very strange, strange... Because they do have the sex scene there. And then you've got Christopher Walken, who looks like he walked out of an entirely different film. <laughs> and on top of that, and I know you're going to get angry when I bring this up, uh, and this was something that got me excited when I first heard the casting, Patrick McNee. Oh, God, what they did to that man is criminal. Is now, I am on record for everybody who listens to Better the Dark knows that my favorite TV show of all time is a little something called The Avengers. Starring hey! Patrick McNee. And to be fair, in recent years, Eon Productions has given a lot of deference to the Avengers. Patrick McNee is their official documentary voiceover in all of their little mini-documentaries and all their DVDs. So they are obviously very deferential to the connection. Mm-hmm. Because Bond has had a long-standing connection with the Avengers, even mm-hmm. though it was be arguably said that it was a rip-off of the Bond franchise. Eh, it turned into much more It was than something that. very unique in and of itself. It, it was, it that. was. John Steed was a very different type of spy mm-hmm. from James Bond. In that, first of all, he never used a gun. Or he rarely used one. I've mm-hmm. heard there have been episodes that he did He use does. Well, know. if you look at the earliest ones, the ones that he's doing with Howard Keel, he's a much different character. And he, he's shown as being a much more rough and tough character. And he does use guns. Later on, when we get to the period that most people remember as the Avengers, where he's paired up with Kathy Gale and with yeah, Honor Blackman Honor and Emma Peel and Tara King, he's the character we all know and love who never uses guns. We should point out, and this is interesting, synchronicity is really working here mm-hmm. today, that with Patrick McNeigh, now we've had three people that were in the Avengers showed up in James Bond series. There you series. go, right. We had Honor Blackman mm-hmm. playing Pussy Galore and Goldfinger, Diana Rigg playing Tracy Bond. Bond. In On a Majesty's Secret Service. Arguably the most important Bond girl of all time. Absolutely. And now we have Patrick McNee. Which is why it's so, but we'll get to that later, it's so weird how they treat McNee in this film. Yeah! yeah. Given the fact that the Avengers almost act as a feeder system for the Bond films. Mm Mm-hmm. Where all these actresses are used by the... The only person who wasn't used was Linda Thorson. Right, yeah. She wasn't very good. But I got excited, but then I saw the film, I was like, fuck you. Right, fuck you. And we've talked about this. I would have written the characters in such a way that there would have been hints and indications Mm -hmm. that it was John Steed. Of course, you would have had to use another name. Mm -hmm. But I would have thrown in enough little things that you would say, okay, well, this is John Steed who's gotten older just like James Bond, but he's still active. And had him be a competent agent working alongside of James Bond. But they played him in this movie as a total buffoon. Which begs the question, why didn't they get a total buffoon? Get somebody like Bernard Cribbins or Jim Broadbent. Right. If you're going to make the character a buffoon and have him be comedy relief, hire a comedian. You don't have an actor of Patrick McNee's stature and treat him like an ass. Mm-hmm. This seems to this way it's like Bond actively dislikes the character that he plays. Mm-hmm. Well, we should probably get to the plot, as stupid as it is. In a nutshell, here's the plot. It starts out in another Willy Bogner-directed pre-credit title sequence. We have a ski sequence. Right. He's in Siberia, where mm-hmm. he has to recover a computer microchip from the court. And Siberia, by the way, was composed of three different locations. Iceland is where they got a lot of the longer shots. I think it's Scotland and, of course, the Pine Tree Studios. As good as the skiing sequences is ruined when they throw in that little clip from the Beach Boys. And, by the way, this is proof. And you know how we praised the last Bond episode, John Glenn, for staying his ground in For Your Eyes Only. Here he's now drinking the Roger Moore. Yeah, yeah. Because, supposedly... The Beach Boys clip and the snowboarding sequence were both his idea. He's now lost to us. Yeah, he's lost because Bond loses one of his skis while he's trying to escape the bad guys. So he uses one of the remaining ski and he's surfing down the he's, thing. Yeah, snowboard. They, snowboard. And they play. Wait a minute. They all could be really sucky films. Now, wait a minute. He's in the Arctic. He's in Siberia with snow. And surfing is a California right. song with sun. And Why would you play that at all? It totally takes you out of the moment. It kills any tension that it might have. And it's just awful. Bond gets the chip back to him. And we find out it's a special microchip that can resist the electromagnetic pulse that's given off by a nuclear explosion. And we should mention that during this scene that you're talking about now, mm-hmm. it's the last appearance of Lois Maxwell. 
as Money Penny because when they reboot the series a couple of years hence, mm-hmm. they decide to recast Money Penny, somebody more age appropriate to Timothy Dalton. Who I don't remember who. Carolyn Bliss. Carolyn who I Bliss. had a okay. serious crush on. Really? I thought she was wicked hot when I was younger. Oh, okay. So M sends Bond to investigate Max Zorn because these chips right. are a duplicate of the ones that Zorn Industries is making. And it turns out that Zorn has a fetish for horse racing. Right, he's a horse enthusiast. He loves right. horse racing. One of the most amusing sequences is when Bond comes to mm-hmm. Zorn's estate. Well, first, when he first sees Zorn, he mm-hmm. sees him at Churchill Downs? Yeah, because they get all dressed right. up in their top hats and right. suits. Him, M, Moneypenny. I think it's, once again, one of the rare times we see Moneypenny out of the office. Out of the office. You very yeah. rarely see her out of... Yeah, you usually don't see her out there. She attends And this Bond. is where we're introduced to Sir Jeffrey Tibbet. Who is played by Patrick McKee. Played by Patrick McKee, who is an expert on horses mm-hmm. and horse husbandry, who is brought in as a consultant. While they're at Churchill Downs, they get the first glimpse of uh, Zorin, along with his rather statuesque and impressive... We don't know what she is, well, she's a bodyguard. Because it's she's like, described as a bodyguard slash trainer. She's supposed to be a bodyguard, but there's this whole subtext that doesn't quite work because... Jones and Walken have no chemistry whatsoever, mm-hmm. that there's something romantic involved. He observes him with this cane pressing on the top of the cane. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that there's something going on. Because Tibbet remarks that he, he tends to buy these horses that are considered done and then gets all these great races out of them. Supposedly he does that because he has a geneticist, Dr. Carl Mortner. Supposedly this doctor is a geneticist that... Who, if you looked up Refugee Nazi... In the dictionary. There's a picture of this guy, yeah. yeah. So they got the most cliched. Can you be more German? Can you be more more German for us, please? And supposedly he's a geneticist who has these secret techniques for improving the performance of these horses. However, the solution is a little bit more simple than that. They have little capsules filled with steroids inside of them. And they have a microchip that, upon a certain stimulus, like maybe if you press the special hidden button on your cane... On your cane... It will transmit an order to the microchip to inject a little bit of steroid. Which is just enough to give the horse... And since... It's a chip instead of actual drugs. The drugs burn off from right. the horse running. So even if you test the horse afterwards, you're not going to find it. And unless you x-ray him, you're not going to find the chip. Zorn, in the tradition of Bond villains, cheats. It's a really rich guy who, who has cheat. to cheat. It's not enough you're already a multi-billionaire. you got to cheat, too. Then they go to the stud farm. Under the guise of James Sinjin. Sinjin. Bond with Tibbet in tow. Playing not an expert. Can somebody explain to me why St. John is pronounced as Sinjin? I have no idea. You remember the old Jan Michael Vincent show? Yes. Uh, uh, string, uh, Stringfellow Hawk. Yeah. Right. But his brother... Sinjin Hawk, yeah. Right. But it was spelled St. S-T. Yeah. St. John, but everybody called him Sinjin. Yeah. Why is St. John pronounced Sinjin? I have no idea. And listen, if anybody out there can tell me why, could you email me, please, and let me know why is it pronounced like that? Because uh, I'd really like to know, seriously. Okay. Now, you would think Sir Jeffrey Tibbet, being an expert on horse husbandry, would be known to somebody who is a horse. Uh, uh, duh. And you would think that someone <laughs> whose cover is, I'm just a guy who bought a lot of money and I'm interested in maybe buying some horses and making them race. Because mm-hmm. maybe it'll be fun. It would make sense for him to hire an expert on horses. Is that how Sir Jeffrey accompanies Bond? No. no. He's his man His man servant. Which gives Bond further chances to humiliate him. It's just painful seeing Bond take it. Oh, I'll help you with the bags. And, and just grabbing an umbrella and leaving poor Patrick McNeese, who at this point has got to be in his late 60s. Yeah, early 70s. Struggling with these five different bags. It's just painful to watch him. It is. It really is. I don't know. Maybe he needed the money, but if I was Patrick McNeese, I said, now you got to mm-hmm. rewrite this shit. He's supposed it, to be a horse expert. Right. That's his guy. He's coming at well. I'm Sir Jeffrey. If Tim, anything, Tim. I would think that if he showed up with a horse expert, it would reinforce his, his, his cover. cover story, right? And not make Zorin automatically suspicious of him. It's not just that he's suspicious of it. He's suspicious of him because Mayday seems to recognize him from an encounter in Paris earlier, where they went to interview the detective. 
Right. Who made a kills with the stupid butterfly. And that's where she jumps off of. If the you Eiffel remember Tower. anything about this film, it's probably the big jump from the Eiffel Tower. Now I don't know, but that strikes me as a pretty inefficient way to escape. By the time you land, mm-hmm. it would seem to me somebody would look up and say, yep. "Oh, somebody's got it. Let me call the police." Right. And there would be a bunch of police saying. Do you have a permit to skydive off the Eiffel Tower? Eiffel Tower, one of our national monuments that you have disgraced with your antiques? (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) They find out about the horse doping, Bond and Gregory Tibbet. Tibbet, he gets mercifully killed off. I don't mind spoiling it for you folks. At that point, I was glad to see Patrick Bond's PPK, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then they put him in the car, and they push the car, right. and Bond is in the car too. Because mm-hmm. by this time, of course, they found out he's James Bond. Well, there's that scene where he calls Bond and says, Oh, come in, I want to talk about you. I've been using my computer to come up with some possible prospects for you. Mm-hmm. Because I figure I want to give you a hand. You're just starting out. And meanwhile, he's looking up all Bond's information. Well, we see on one yeah. screen that he has... It's like an x-ray machine. He can see there's a gun. Yeah. But and on another screen, it's all the picture and everything yes. of Bond is coming up. Oh, he Googled James Bond. That's what, that's what came up, a picture and everything. We should mention also that during this sequence, while Bond is in Zorin's palatial mansion, he meets who I think uh, is the world's worst actress and by all means is the worst Bond girl ever, Tanya Roberts. As Dr. Stacy Sutton, who she's supposed to be an expert on what? She's supposed to be a geologist. A geologist. Because she yeah. explains that her father, who ran this oil company, Sutton Oil, sent her to school to become a geologist because he expected she was going to take over the business. And she's selling Sutton Oil to Zorin for reasons we don't know. Not as yet, but we do find yes, out later. Yes, we do find out later. Yeah. A lot of other stuff happens. <laughs> well, he needs it because Zora's plan is this. They've got oil wells all, all up and down, all up and down the West Coast. The West Coast. Where Silicon Valley is. Silicon Valley is. And he digs the shafts even further. And he's yeah. been putting explosives down there right. for months. He's to basically like, trigger an artificial earthquake that will change the topic. Well, he's doing the Lex Luthor scheme. He's well, hating. I was about to say, he's basically doing Goldfinger scheme. The idea is it's going to flood Silicon Valley, destroy... All the technological industries there, which at that time, in 1985, I think it is, mm-hmm. all the major electronics were built in Silicon Valley. Right, and all of the microchips right. supplied, that's where it was coming from. So going to destroy the microchip industry, so he has a larger monopoly. Because he's got these special chips that resist, resist the, 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 the... So that's going to drive the value of his chips up even right. higher. I guess he's going to make another couple of billion dollars, but he's got these shafts... With all these explosives that he's been putting right. down there to flood Silicon Valley. Bond and Stacey Sutton, for some reason that I don't remember right now, I'll be honest with y'all folks, because I'm trying to forget this movie yes. as I'm talking about it. They go to San Francisco. He goes right. to San Francisco by himself to, the whole to find out that Stacey is working for the Office of the Geology. Because he thinks that she's working yeah. for Zorin at right. one point. Because exactly. she comes and gets the check from him. Because he does this like thing where he gets an impression of the check to find out that it's a payment for some ungodly sum to her yeah. from Zorin. Mm-hmm. So he hooks up with Agent Yip from the CIA, who right. should have been Felix Leiter. should have been Felix Leiter. And he gets involved with Stacy. These sequences go on forever, where he goes and breaks into her house, mm-hmm. and she tells the story about her poor dad, and Roger Moore gets to act like the rifleman and chase people off her land. And you can look at all the world like somebody's demented grandpa. Get the hell off my lawn! I was about to say, yeah, 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 young whippersnapper, get the hell off right. my lawn. You can actually see Roger Moore struggling yeah. to show interest while she's telling this story. She tells it in the most boring, banal fashion. And then when people rag on Denise Richards as being the worst, I said, have you ever seen a view to a kill? You and I have talked about this. My problem with Denise Richards is that she's not a very good actress. I don't have a problem with her playing Dr. Christmas Jones. I have a problem with Tanya Roberts playing Dr. Stacy Sutton because at no point in any of this film are you convinced this woman could throw a rock with accuracy. <laughs> she couldn't hit water if she, yeah. if she fell out of a boat. She has no credibility whatsoever in this film. No, I mean none whatsoever. We can thank her for something? one thing. What? We can thank her for finally convincing Roger Moore that he should give it up. Because the story goes that Roger Moore reported to work one day and Tanya Roberts was excited because she wanted to introduce Moore to her mother. Mm-hmm. And then Roger Moore met Tanya Roberts' mother and realized, my God, this could be my daughter. And that was the moment where he decided, I'm done after this film. 
To be honest, and to be fair to Tiny Robbins, Bond girls are really not chosen for their acting ability. Yeah. Of course, occasionally we do get one, such as Maud Adams, Diana Rigg, the girl that played Electric King. Sophie Marcel. Sophie Marcel, right. Occasionally we do get an actress who can act. Or and, Eva Green. Casino Royale. Right, yeah. Who elevates mm-hmm. the whole stature of a Bond girl. But let's face it, in most Bond movies, they're not picked for their acting ability. But they certainly could have did better than Tanya Roberts. Who even when she's supposed to be acting badly, like in that 70s show... She even acts badly, badly. She's truly dreadful. At least you could say with somebody like, besides somebody who we claimed was really terrible, Britt Eklund. At least you could say Britt Eklund made for nice window dressing. It was also her, the way her character was written. Not so much the way right, she was right. acting. I've seen Britt Eklund in a lot of other things. I like her as an actress. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the character that she played, and, and I think she could have played a much better written character if they had yeah. taken the time to give her one. Mm-hmm. But that's different from Tanya Roberts. She just cannot act to okay. save her life. She just can't. I don't care how well written the part is. End of rant. Discover that this is what's going to happen. Of course, Zorn is at every moment trying to thwart them. And this is something that bugged the hell out of me about Zorn as a character. Here's this guy who is this magnificently rich bastard. We also found out that he's a psychotic from experiments that was performed upon him when he was a child. He was yeah, a test baby. baby. But the thing is, is that here's this ultra-rich guy who has probably the most henchmen of any villain <laughs> in Bond history, because not only do we have Mayday, not only do we have Dr. Chicken Gruber, <laughs> not only do we, we have Allison Duty playing Jenny Flex, <laughs> we have some unnamed Asian bitch. Yeah, yeah. And the two of them are running around with him henching. You've got Patrick Bouchow, who is a great actor. Henching. Has Scarpine. Scarpine. Who is there, his head of security. Head of security. He's got this whole support staff, and not one of them offers to drive him. He's driving everywhere. At one point, they killed the head of the geological survey and burned down his office. Zorin is doing it himself. himself. You're a mastermind. You're not supposed to put yourself in danger. You're supposed to be sitting in your hideout, so that's why you have him. You have Jenny Flex call you and go, oh, yes, we've just burned down this house. Good. <laughs> Good job. Go get yourself a beer. Right, exactly. <laughs> you never saw Blofeld. Well, no, in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, he was doing his job. Yeah. But that was because most of his... His organization had been destroyed mm-hmm. by Bond in previous right. movies, so he had no choice. He had to build from, from the ground up again. Right. But in most Bond movies, just, I mean, the mass I mean, we have just... seen how Zorin lives. He's not doing his dirty work. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a weird, weird choice. Then, of course, you've got that weird scene that goes on forever with mm-hmm. him and the Russian spy. After he escapes another death trap mm-hmm. that Zorin sets for him by you know trying to drown him in one of the pipes. Yeah. He encounters this... Former Russian ballerina is now a spy mm-hmm. who we had a thing for, and they go to this hot tub, and they're, oh, God, this whole story is, my head hurts. Well, good reason. Be- I think that that whole sequence with the Russian ballerina was there solely to give Walter Gotel something more to do as Gogol. Yeah. Other than that, he just shows up to say to Zorn, you're crazy, you should come back to us and be a right. KGG right. again. Cause he, right, because To which Zorin goes, uh, no, I don't. Think so. Because that's like a whole subplot. He used to work for the KGB, but he broke away from them to mm. do his own thing. There's nothing in this story that holds my interest. It's a James Bond movie. I've watched it maybe three or four mm-hmm. times, but I don't plan on watching it anymore because it's just too painful to watch. It really is definitely the nadir. I know you have said on occasion that you think Quantum of Order, I mean Solace, <laughs> is the worst James Bond film of all time. Actually, I just recently rewatch Quantum of Solace. Now, I've elevated it one or two notches above, so now I do place it above A View okay. to a Kill. That, that don't mean that I love it to death. You know, there is exactly death. one thing in this entire film that I take away as a positive. What's that? Duran Duran's theme song. Oh, yeah! Which kicks many kinds of ass. With a view. Granted, it, it features what is the worst Maurice Binder title sequences of all time. Oh, you could tell by this time he was tired. Yeah, it was, it's, it's not out and out senile. It's lazy. Because it just got the girls in silhouette with the multi with the glow the tape. With the glow tape over them doing the skiing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's truly a dreadful it's lazy. sequence. Yeah. But, but that, that Duran Duran Simon so, yeah. One of the main movers and shakers of Duran Duran was a major, major James Bond fan. Mm-hmm. And this was his dream. He wanted to be in a James Bond film. Have you ever seen 
the music video for this? Yeah, but years ago. It takes the Eiffel Tower sequence and cuts Duran Duran. Yeah, 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 right, right. It ends with LeBond. And then at the end, LeBond turns to his, like, uh, somebody says, well, who are you? And he turns to the camera and goes, LeBond, Simon. Simon, LeBond. And you can see his face. It's just pure joy on his face. It is the only, the absolutely only James Bond theme song to reach number one in the charts here in the United States. Well, it should because it's a great... Too bad it's wasted on such a shit picture. Yeah. And I never thought I'd say that about a James Bond movie being shit. It but is yeah, the absolute this is. worst. It, it is. is the absolute all-time worst There is film. nothing redeeming. As much as I hate Moonraker, yeah. I'd rather watch Moonraker than watch this. We've ragged on Michael Lonsdale okay. a lot. But at least I can see what Lonsdale was trying when he did Hugo Drax. Mm-hmm. He was trying to do, especially after we got the operatic Stromberg, mm-hmm. and we got before that Scaramanga. Lonsdale was, was trying to do was take a different tack, being very subtle. Well, he overdid it, the subtlety. Well, yeah, he did point. it so much that it seemed like he had taken Valium. <laughs> you know? It literally looks like Zorin is from another movie. Zorin was looking for the Martin Scorsese picture that was shooting in the studio next door and ended up here. And you would figure that playing a James Bond villain would be a walk in the park for Christian yeah. Walken. There's that one sequence we didn't talk about in the first hour where he forces Bond to do the horse race. And then he has these ridiculous lines like when he, Bond is about to back up he's being surrounded by these thugs. He's like, oh, these are my stable hands. <laughs> Spider will help you onto your mount. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if your staple head is named Spider. I'm not going to be I'm racing not, with you. I'm not racing with you. This is also the film that features the most egregious use of the title, mm-hmm. where you have the scene where Zoran is arriving in his blimp, mm-hmm. which because they had budget problems, they could only construct one half of the blimp. That's why you <laughs> only see it from the one side. Yeah, him and Mayday are looking, and Mayday goes. What of you? What? What? And uh, my first one was, what the what? Oh, gee, they said the title. That's the only reason that scene is there, to say the title of the movie. (laughs) I'm not surprised that after this, Barbara and Michael decide. By the way, Michael wrote the screenplay for this. Michael J. Wilson wrote the screenplay in collaboration with Robert Mybaum. So we gotta blame. He gets a larger share of the blame for this one than Barbara does. You can see why he and Barbara said, oh, well, we we gotta reboot the franchise. Yeah. The next time. We gotta do something. (laughs) Because this isn't working. That's why they went with a much younger Bond. Mm -hmm. That's why they went with a much more serious Bond. And I've said this many times, my favorite of all the screen Bonds. Timothy Dalton. Yeah, I mean, this one with the Timothy Dalton was more like, it wasn't what traditionally called like a hard reboot, like yeah. the uh, Daniel Craig said, this is a soft reboot. It was kind of like with it's a soft reboot. Uh, on Her Majesty's, what we call a soft reboot. Yeah, exactly, a soft reboot. But we'll get to that in, in the next episode of the Guild mm-hmm. Edge Bonds. This is just, oh, thoroughly dreadful. And after this one, and after the one after it, The Living Daylights, say goodbye to listenable Bond themes for a while. Yeah. I know that you don't care for it that much, with the exception of Garbage's The World Is Not Enough. There's not a good song in the lot of them, until the Craig movies. Well, uh, well, I've said that that one, The World Is Not yeah. Enough, is the best out of Bros. Yeah. Because the Brosnan Bonds are notable for the fact that they don't have a decent scene song except for that. Part of the reason why that one works is because Shirley Manson has a Shirley Bassey voice. It's a Shirley Bassey type of song, yeah. So she's able to do that shouting to the rafters thing yeah, that Bassey yeah. does so well. Yeah, that's the best one out of the Brosnan, because all of those theme songs are horrible. Then yeah. we get Daniel Craig, and they try to reboot it by getting jazzier, which has given us one really great theme song mm-hmm. in You Know My Name. And yeah. One that's kind of iffy. So, to review. So, to review. Ah, that's never, how I review. Ah, never say never again. I, you don't not rec- a fan. You're not a fan. You don't not recommend it. I say, yes, yeah, see it, because we got Sean Connery back to play Sir James Bond one more time, and he does it. In fine style, he plays, yes, an older James Bond, but it's an older James Bond who still got the move. Yeah. He's still classy. He can still wow the ladies, despite some truly, to use your phrase, iffy performances. Yeah. But still, I consider it watchable. It's not a noteworthy entry in the Bond series, but if you're a James Bond fan, it's certainly worth seeing. And if you want to torture someone, if you want to make them hate their lives, you can waterboard them, or, of course, you can show them of you to a kill. Which, if you haven't guessed by now, both Tom and I 
absolutely loathe with a passion. The only reason why you should have this movie is if you're a James Bond fan and if you're collecting the movies on DVD right. and you don't want to break up the set. If you're not a James Bond fan, just go yeah. and rip the uh, CD of the theme song and let it go at that. Yeah, if you're let not... Let it yeah. go. You don't want it to. Yeah, if you're not a James Bond fan at all and you haven't seen this yet, if you're curious about seeing it, don't rent it. Just wait for it to show up because they do show it on like TNT yeah. and they show it on... Spike. Uh, yeah, Spike. They're the guys that currently uh, have the right. rights to show the James mm-hmm. Bond. If you're really curious about seeing it, wait for it to show out. Please, do not waste your money on this. But we've done the worst. We've just emerged from the darkness of the tunnel. It's smooth sailing here. Though there's two really, truly dreadful films ahead. But that's not till the very end of the... Yeah, because we got two good ones coming. Yes, we got two great ones. We get to talk about Timothy Dalton. Which we will do at great length. Yes, because we love Timothy Dalton. But in a manly way. Yes. To get to the administrative, well, if you want to tell us you agree, you disagree, you think Tanya Roberts is an actress on Shakespearean levels, you have a couple of options on how to contact <laughs> and, us. And, and Christopher Walken is the greatest James Bond villain of all time. Which I am a mastermind, <coughs> and I come in so many flavors. Believe it or not, there are people that have told me that he's up there with Goldfinger and Blofeld, and I said, what the hell have you been smoking? <laughs> and these are probably the same people that knock Necros. Yeah. a terrible villain. But anyway, you can send us an email at betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboard105.com. You can leave a message on either of our websites, one of which is betterinthedark.podomatic.com, mm-hmm. but pretty soon it'll be all at bitd.libsyn.com. Or you can follow our adventures on Live Journal. Derek's is called Derek Ferguson's Notebook. Mine is called Space Monkey Mafia. And we also want to remind you yet again, we're going to say this every episode until you give in, that we both have stories in an upcoming anthology called How the West Was Weird, which is forthcoming from Pulpworks Press. You'll have lots of ways to get your fixes of us. And if you want to visit Pulpworks Press to... Learn more about their fine slate of releases, including these books about this uh, secret agent slash adventurer named Dylan, written by some guy named Ferguson. Some sissy. Some guy. Some sissy. You can go to www.freewebs.com backslash pulpworkpress. Which is interesting that you mentioned that because the inspiration for Dylan, a lot of it comes from James Bond. There you go. James Bond and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I would assume a little bit of Flint, too. Yeah, Flint, Jerry Flint. It's played by James Coburn. Which we're going to do, aren't we? We are we're gonna going do a to Flint? do... We're going to do a Flint. Are we going to do it? The plan is after... Are we going to do it along with the rivals of... Is that going to be a separate... After episode? we finish, which is not that far off, because we've got the Timothy Dalton episode. Right. We've got, we've got two episodes which are going to be about Pierce Brosnan, because Pierce Brosnan did four films. And then the episode after that will be cover Daniel Craig. Well, Daniel Craig, who's only done two, two so far. so far. After that, while we prepare for our next big series, which is going to be covering the Universal Movie Monsters, uh-huh. we're also going to do a small of episodes about the rivals of James Bond. One of which is, yes, it's going to be Flint. We're going to do Matt Helm. We're going to do Modesty Blaze. We, I will actually be able to give you a review of the Our Man Flint TV pilot. Flintlock. No, it was, it was called In Like Flint. Oh, but wasn't there one that was written by Harlan Ellison called Flintlock? Also known as The Brides of Flint, okay. which was a script that he wrote unsolicited because he loved the character so much. Right, that's what I heard. He just wrote it. Coburn was not interested in uh, continuing with yeah, the character. Yeah, so damn shame. We would have had a third Flint film. Danton plays Flint in the TV pilot. Not yeah. very good. No, it's not. I saw it once on ABC. Mm-hmm. They aired it on yeah. Saturday night at like 11. Because during the summer they would always dump the... Busted Pilots. They would have ABC Summer Showcase yeah, yeah, yeah. where they would show the Busted Pilots for the season. That's where I got to see, which nobody else remembers, called Snavely, which was an American adaptation of Faulty Towers with Harvey Corman playing Basil Faulty and Andy Kaufman playing Manuel, which I think nobody remembers because everybody mm. remembers a B. Arthur one that they did a couple of years later. Right, they did a version of Faulty Towers with B. Arthur. Amanda's yeah. Place. There you go. Now, that I remember. But nobody remembers Snavely. Really? I'll have to look that up. I just want to mention real quick that you got two big 
things coming up. We got the Universal Monsters. That's the next one we want to do. And then the one after that, okay, so you got that to look forward to. And then after that, I'm going to be doing, because Tom did the Halloween series. Yeah, just for the remake with Jackie Earl Haley. Right. I'm going to be doing a review of all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. You got that. Welcome to my madness. (laughs) So you got that to look forward to. And everybody who's been listening from day one remembers how fucked up I was at the end of that Halloween episode. Oh, yeah. You guys don't know what I had to do to put it back together after. Don't worry, (laughs) Derek. I got the psychiatric uh, hospital on speed dial just in case. The hell with that. You better have a fifth of vodka. Okay. So until next time, (laughs) no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what whacked out Nazi test tube baby who's turned into a Silicon Valley millionaire who likes to go and beat people up on himself rather than sending his henchmen to do you, come after you go see see that that movie. movie good night good night god bless your brother's dead keep dashing You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Ian and Adon of Four Areas Only, R.D. Reynolds and Blake Braxton of WrestleCrap Radio, Andy and John of the Hollywood Saloon, Eric Frome, and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Better in the Dark is not responsible for any brain damage, mental instability, or other deleterious nervous conditions that arises from watching A View to a Kill more than, well, ever actually. Older episodes of the show are archived at bitd.lipson.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you should never, but never agree to race someone whose staple hand is named Spider. Good morning. Good morning. I understand you wish to see me. You slept well? A little restless, but I got off eventually. 